number six, Matthew chapter number six, and we're going to continue our series on I can this morning. I can. And in Matthew chapter six, we're going to learn today about how it is that we can pray. And I trust that this series has been a help and a blessing to you uh, as you've been coming every week. And by the way, if you've not received your notes, they're in your bulletin. But if you've not received a bulletin, you can go ahead and raise your hand and the ushers will see that hand and uh, get you a bulletin. And that way uh, you can study with us as we grow together this morning and studying God's Word. So Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to be studying. And we're going to look at this uh, a Really, this enablement that God has given us, this blessing of being able to pray. Uh, Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to be looking. Verse 9 through 13 is the verses that we're going to be studying. And I trust that this morning as we we study God's Word, it will be a help and an encouragement to you as you realize what it is that we can do as Christians and just the, the wonderful blessing of prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 says this way, After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for allowing us to be in your house this morning. Thank you for the wonderful blessing that we have of being able to come to you in prayer. Father, may we never take that for granted. May it always be a truth that would move us to our very being, to our very core. Father, as we study your word this morning, we pray that you would, first of all, fill us with your spirit. May we be able to receive the message that you have laid uh, and prepared for us this morning. May we not just be hearers of your word, but doers also. I pray, Father, that you would be with me as I preach your word, that I would give the message that you have laid on my heart, give me clarity of thought. Uh, Father, help me to simply say what you would have me to say. If there's anything in this message, Father, that you would not have me to share, then I pray that you would block it out of my mind and and not allow me to say it. For this morning, I just want to give the message that you've laid on on our hearts. And uh, Father, something that will be an encouragement to us this morning. I pray that you would help us grow closer to you as a result of studying your word. And we ask all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. One of the most marvelous blessings that we have from God is the truth that every one of us have the ability, have the blessing of going to Him anytime through prayer. In fact, He's always willing and ready to listen to our petitions, always ready and willing to answer our requests through prayer. Yet so many times as Christians, we really don't go to God in prayer. So many times this great resource and this great truth that has been made available to us through the Lord Jesus Christ, is a resource that we don't really use much in our Christian life. In fact, it reminds me of a fisherman that I heard of that was a, uh, a Christian that had gotten away from God and, 
And uh, for many years, he would go out with his buddies on Sunday, got away from going to church, and went out with his buddies on their boat to, to go fishing that day as he had the weekend off. And uh, one time, they're on their boat, and they're going into the stormy waters, and this storm began to really get really, really rough. And of course, all the men there got afraid for their lives and didn't know really what to do. Everything that we were trying to do to not let the uh, boat sink was failing, so finally, one of the men told uh, the guy that this fisherman that they knew was a Christian, at least at one time, was going to church and being faithful. He said, can you just pray to God? Do, do whatever you can. Ask God to help us get out of this storm. And the fisherman looked at his friends. He said, well, it's just been so long. I, I don't know if I can really ask God to do that. I, I haven't been to church in a long time. I haven't read my Bible in a long time. I, I haven't even really prayed in a long time. And they said, it really doesn't matter. you got to do whatever you can. Come on, help us out. Just pray to God that he would help us get out of this storm. Well, after a lot of begging, finally, this fisherman, knowing that there was really nothing else that they could do, looked up and he said, God, I haven't talked to you in 15 years, and I haven't asked for anything in 15 years. He said, but if you can just get us out of this storm and back to land safely, I won't bother you for another 15 years. You know, sadly, many Christians look at prayer that way. Prayer is just something you do to get out of a difficult time. Something you just do when you feel like there's nothing else that you can do for yourself. But you know, prayer never had uh, that intention, uh, intentionality. God never intended prayer to be something that we just do to get out of a difficult time in our life. Now, prayer is so much more than that. Now, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is talking to his disciples. This chapters of 5, 6, and 7 in Matthew are known as the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is talking to those followers of his, those disciples that had decided to follow him with their life and give their life to Jesus. He is telling them about many things of the kingdom that he is establishing. He's giving them many truths in these three chapters. And one of the great truths that he talks about is here in chapter 6 in verse number 9, and it is the truth about prayer in our life. You know, prayer is defined simply as asking. And asking isn't always something selfish. Asking isn't always something I need. Sometimes asking is just for information. Sometimes asking is just for necessary for growth. And here, God is telling them, listen, Part of the Christian life that is very important is this area of asking God, of prayer in your life. And what I love about what Jesus teaches in this chapter is that he doesn't simply define what prayer is. He's not trying to tell his disciples, uh, this is what prayer is, have this information, store it in your mind so you'll know if you ever get in a difficult time or you don't know what else to do, then just call me up. Call by asking and going through prayer to me. Jesus wasn't teaching his disciples that that is what prayer is for. He teaches his disciples that prayer is so much more than that. He teaches his disciples that prayer is something to be done at any time, not just in the good time or the bad times of life, but also to be done in the good times of life. Prayer is something that we need to go to God with every day. What I love about this teaching is that Jesus says not only do we need to pray every day, not only is it something necessary for us as Christians, 
But Jesus in this passage teaches his disciples how to pray. You know, I think as Christians, many of us desire to have a better prayer life. Many of us desire to be able to go to God and talk with God and spend time with God. But many Christians today don't know exactly how to pray. And that's why this passage is so important. Jesus is saying, I want you to know how to pray. So as we study these four verses or five verses, I'd like to share three instructional truths that Jesus gave his disciples on how to pray. First of all, I want you to notice that in our prayer, we are to be focused on God. He said, after this manner, therefore pray ye. And by the way, as we As we study this prayer, I want you to know that Jesus said, after this manner, pray ye. He didn't say that this is what you have to pray. He didn't say that this is the prayer and the only prayer that you must repeat and recite and memorize. In fact, he was saying the very opposite. If you read in verses 6, 7, and 8 there of that same chapter of Matthew 6, you'll find that Jesus was saying, those that are worshiping false gods, those that are not followers of God... They tend to use vain repetitions in their prayers. And the gods that they worship, they just sort of say the same thing over and over again, expecting that prayer to do something. But he says when it comes to prayer with God and talking with God, he said prayer is not just saying the same thing over and over and over again. It is not a vain repetition, but it is something of a conversation. It is something of an asking with God. And as you take time to pray, the first thing that he says, he says, after this manner, after this pattern, if you will, this is the model prayer. It's funny, many people uh, look at this prayer and they title it the Lord's Prayer. Many of us know it as the Lord's Prayer. But really, it's not really the Lord's Prayer, it's the disciples' prayer. Jesus was saying, as disciples, this is how you are to pray. And he says, the first thing that you must focus on in prayer is focusing on on God. He says, our Father, which art in heaven. You know, so many times when we pray, the focus of our prayer is really us. I don't know if you've noticed this, but sometimes the first thing we want to run to in our asking with God is about our needs, our desires, our wants. It's all about us. But you'll notice that Jesus said, when you pray, And as you pray, first you need to understand that prayer starts by focusing on God, not on us. It's not focusing on what we want and need, but it's focusing on God. He says, our Father, which art in heaven. God is to be the foremost focus of our prayer. And he starts with focusing on the fact of our relationship with him. Our relationship with God. He says, Our Father. You know, our prayer ought to be seen as a child speaking with his Father. I love that Jesus says, when you talk to God, talk to him as your Father. There's a relationship there with that word. It's not just God, you supreme being, you creator that is out there. He says, pray saying, our Father. Look at that relationship that is there you see the focus is not on what or who the child is but who the father is 
The prayer and the focus of our prayers ought to be focused on God. You see, it's a wonderful truth to be able to approach the creator of our universe as our Father. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever paused and just thought, the universe that we inhabit, this world that we enjoy, is because of a creator. One who is far greater than us. Far more powerful than us. Far stronger than us. Far more intelligent than us. And yet he says, I want you to know that you can talk to me as your father. As the one that is there for you. The, the one of a relationship that is close. You see, we can go to him as our father because of the relationship that we have with him. The, the uh, relationship that was established on the merits of Jesus Christ. John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. As you pray, remember that your focus in prayer ought to be on who God is. Don't start off right away on what you want and what you need. But start off on who he is. Thinking and meditating on him as our father. Think about that truth, that wonderful truth to be able to go to God as our Father. I heard of a, a story of a, a Roman emperor that was uh, coming back to Rome on a, after a great victory. And uh, if you know anything about the uh, history in Rome at the time of the emperors, anytime there was a great victory that would happen, uh, the emperors would come back uh, and there was this big parade that would happen. And uh, he would come in on his chariot and behind him his army. And behind the army there was all the prisoners and all the, the trophies of the victory from war. And they would march down to the center of Rome and all of the city would come out and begin to cheer for the emperor and congratulate the soldiers and the emperor on the victory that they had. And to, to try to control the crowds, they would put all these legionnaires, these soldiers, uh, to stop the people from just coming and crowding around the chariot and the soldiers. And they'd form a line and everybody would stand behind that as the emperor would come down in his chariot leading that parade. Well, as he was doing this, this emperor was getting close to the end of the, uh, of the parade and, and a little boy from the crowd began to run uh, through the crowd and, and as he got to where the soldiers were stopping all the crowd from going back or going by them to, to go and, and see the emperor, this little, this little boy began to sort of shove the, uh, the legs of the, of the soldier trying to get through the legs and, and get to where the emperor was. And when the soldier noticed him, he picked him up right away and he says, boy, uh, what are you doing? Uh, uh, you can't go over there. Don't you know who that is? He said, that, that man on that chariot, he's the emperor of Rome. I'm here to stop people from just going right up to him. Son, you can't just go up to him uh, as the emperor of Rome. And the little boy looked at the soldier and he began to laugh. And he said, that's because he's your emperor. But you see, he's my dad. And I can go to him anytime I want. You know, prayers like that. Jesus said, when you pray, this is how you pray. Remember that God is your father. There's a relationship there, a relationship of love from him to you. There's a relationship that says, I want you to come to me. Any father here that loves their children knows that one of the greatest moments you have as a father is, is when your son comes to, to ask for help or comes to talk to you. Man, it, uh, having a child come and speak to you, it, it can turn your day around, can it? 
I mean, you can have a really long day, a bad day at work, but when you walk in that home and there's a child there that runs up to you and hugs you and says, Dad, I love you, and then begins to tell you about their day, it can totally change your day. And there's something about that relationship that means so much. And Jesus says, as we pray, remember, he is your father. He wants you to come and spend time with him. Romans 8.15 says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. We find in our prayer, as we focus on God first and foremost, that he is our father. That reminds us of his relationship with us. But then I want you to notice that Jesus said, not only our Father which art in heaven, he says, hallowed be thy name. This focuses on his, uh, on, uh, his relationship with us. Our Father is our relationship with him. But then there's time to focus on his relationship with us. You see, as we focus on him through our relationship with him, our focus should also see his relationship with us. The word hallowed is a Greek word from which comes the Greek word hagios, which means holy. Usually in the New Testament, it's translated as holy. And the word holy means to be different, to be separate from. God is someone that is holy. He's different from every other God. Every false God that has been worshipped here in this world is different from our God. I know we live in a world that people like to say, well, as long as we're all trying to follow after God, if we're, uh, you know, they're all the same. We're all on the same path. But the fact of the matter is, that's not true. Do you know that the God of uh, the Muhammad or the Muslim is different from the God of the Bible? The God of the Buddhist is very different from the God of the Bible. They're not all the same God. We find that the God of the Bible is very different in his relationship with us. The God of the Bible is not just like every other God. The, Bible, the God of the Bible is a holy God. He's a separate God. Now this word also distinguishes that from what is holy and that from what is profane. It's what makes something different. It's what makes that word, makes what you describe differently of, of certain things. For instance, this building is a different building. It is holy. It's hagias, if you're going to translate it that way. It's a building that is set apart from every other building. This is not a bank in which we're sitting in today. It is not a place of business. This is a sacred place. It's a holy place. It is the house of God. You see, any time that God is involved, there's something different about it. This book isn't just like every other book. You'll find that most of our Bibles say, holy Bible, that's the word hagias. It's a different kind of book. It's a separate book. It's different from any other book our world has ever known. And when you go to God in worship, you remember, first of all, the relationship that we have with Him, but you also remember the relationship He has with you. It's a different kind of relationship. He's a different kind of God. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16 says, But as He which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Jesus emphasizes this truth in that prayer. He says, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed or holy, separated, different, be thy name. You see, notice that 
the focus of our prayer should have a separateness, a distinctness of his name. Now, it's interesting here, the, the Hebrew word there for name is, is, is a little bit different. And this will help us, if you think about the concept, Jesus was talking to those that were of the Jewish race. And so their culture comes into what he's explaining to them. And it's interesting that he says, hallowed be thy name. Well, for a Jewish person, the, the, the word name is something that's a little bit more profound than just what someone is called by. For instance, we say, oh, my name is Jeremy when we introduce ourselves. But many times we think of the word name as this is what people call me, right? And sometimes we have nicknames, you know, and, and people call us by that nickname or call us by our name. But in the Jewish culture, the name was uh, so much more meaningful than just that. A name was something that reflected the nature and character and personality of a person. That's why they took great care in when they were going to name their children. They took great care when they were going to name what God had done. If you study the scriptures, there are very many names for God according to what he was doing, according to what he did in the life of a person. A name had that kind of idea behind it. What is the nature, character, and personality of this person? So when Jesus says, hallowed be thy name, what he's saying is that the name of God should be something that is distinct in our life. Something that is separated by the fact of his nature, of God's character, God's personality. In other words, in prayer, we are to focus on what, God, what makes God different. What is it that makes God who he is? What is it that God has revealed to you in your life about who he is? The psalmist did this many times. Psalms chapter 9, verse 10, I think it's in your notes. It says, and they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. What the psalmist is saying there isn't simply those that know the name Jehovah. No, he's saying those that know what that means. The God all-powerful, the everlasting God, the loving God, the, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace. Those that know him will trust in him. Those that know what the name of God stands for. In other words, God's character, His nature, His personality. In our prayer, our prayer ought to be focused on God. Thinking of God's relationship with us. It's a sacred thing. So many times in our prayers, we want to just get through them as quickly as possible. We sometimes want to just get it out of the way so we can say we've done that as as if marking off a chore on our to-do list. But Jesus says, when you pray, it ought to be something sacred. Something that points you to the character of God. Now, as we put this together, Hollywood, holy, distinct, separate, that word, Hollywood, or holy, when you put that with the phrase, be thy name, what really Jesus is saying is that in our prayer, we ought to say, enable us, to give you the unique place that you deserve in our life. Prayer is timed uh, to just simply talk to God and say, God, this day, this February 17th of 2019, God, may you have the place in my life, the priority in my life that you ought to have. God, may you be the everlasting God, the loving God, the powerful God for me today. May I meditate on that. May I think about that. May I really just simply soak that in. 
That's why Micah, in Micah 6, 8, said as he prophesied, He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. God has showed us himself. And then he says, And what doth the Lord require of thee? But to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Micah was saying, listen, there's a time when you just need to come to God and say, God, I want this time, this time that I'm talking with you, this time of asking to be a time in which I focus on you. I focus about your relationship with me and my relationship with you. See, prayer is to be focused on God. But not only is it to be focused on God, but our prayers to be focused on God's will. Notice that Jesus said, You pray after this manner, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. You know, our prayers should focus on what God's desire are for us. They're about seeking His plans, not our plans. Prayer is a time to seek after what is it that God wants for my life. And this begins with the establishing of his kingdom. That's why he says, thy kingdom come and thy will be done. You see, Jesus was talking in this chapter about what his kingdom is going to be like. What the rules and regulations of this kingdom are going to be like. And as he's establishing and teaching the, the disciples all about his kingdom, in our prayers we ought to focus on that kingdom. We ought to focus on the fact that God is trying to establish his kingdom in us. Now, what is God's kingdom? Well, I believe that the passage explains that. I want you to uh, know about this truth that is in, in Hebrew language. When you, um, when you study the Old Testament, you'll, you'll know that the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew. And uh, the Hebrews had a uh, a distinct way of sort of expressing themselves, of using grammar the way they did. Many times they have what is called parallel, parallelism, all right? And parallelism is where they really repeat the same thing twice. But the first time they say it is to sort of give a declarative statement. And the second time they say something is sort of describe what that statement means. For instance, if you look, I think in your notes there in Psalm chapter 46, verse 1. It says, God is our refuge and our strength. That's the declarative statement. But what does that statement mean? The second statement is kind of re repeated, but it explains that. He says, a very present help in trouble. That's what it means that God is a refuge and strength. In other words, he's there to help when you get in trouble. He's got the strength that you need when you have no more strength. That's called parallelism. They're, they're trying to repeat that. Now, if you, if you think about that, look back now at our passage where he says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth or in earth as it is in heaven. When you think about the parallelism here, you'll find that what the kingdom is is really submission to the will of God in your life. Submission to God and obedience to God is in focus for what we are to pray for. You see, God is always to be the focus of our prayer. But not only God himself and who he is, but also in his will. What he is trying to accomplish through us and in us. Luke chapter 4 verse 8 says, And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and, serve, and, and him only shalt thou serve. One thing that Jesus was conscious about was he was, while he was here on earth, 
And something that he taught the disciples through this prayer was we ought to be in constant, um, in constant prayerful attitude saying, God, may your will be done in my life. Now, that's a very challenging thing to do in prayer. It, it requires me to set aside my plans. It requires me to set aside what I want to do and it requires me to focus on really what it is that he wants to be done. You have to ask yourself, God, what is it that you want to accomplish through me and in, in my life? And the only way that can happen is by us being submissive and obedient in his will. That's why Jesus said, I've come to establish a kingdom. When he came the first time, he did establish a kingdom. It was a spiritual kingdom. It is a spiritual kingdom in which we can see God's will done in, on earth as it is in heaven. You see, in heaven today, there is no angels that are fighting against what God wants done with them. They don't sit there and debate God when God says, I need you to do this and do his bidding. They don't sit there and go, well, I'll think about it, God. We'll see how that happens, God. No, in heaven, everything is happening according to God's will perfectly. Sadly, we live on an earth where sin remains and dominates our earth. And so we live in a world where that's not always the reality. But it can be a reality in your world, in your life. You might live and you might go to work in a place where there are many that are not even thinking about God, much less thinking about doing what God wants them to do. But you have the blessing of being able to say, God, in my life, will you do what you want done for me? It starts there with God establishing his kingdom in us, but also in the reception of his provisions. Focusing on God's will is not only God doing what he wants in our life, but also in the reception of doing what God, and the reception of God's provisions for us. He says, give us this day our daily bread. This truth focuses on the fact that we are to ask God for His will to be done in our daily provisions from Him. So many times we, we fail in this area as Christians. We begin to think that what we have is a result of our hard work is a result of what we have done, of our intelligence, of our talents, of our abilities. But Jesus reminds his disciples when it comes to doing God's will and focusing on God's will as you pray, pray that his kingdom will be established in your hearts and in your life, but pray that you'll be able to receive from God what he wants to give you. He said, give us this day our daily bread. Some scholars have interpreted that bread to be the word of God. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Jesus said that his word is as manna from heaven for us. It is spiritual bread for us. And perhaps there is a truth there that you can apply in prayer and saying, God, help me to receive from your word the sustaining life that I need. Because bread was a sustaining food for someone. As you eat bread, it gives you vitality, it gives you strength, it gives you what you need to grow. In our prayer, we ought to ask God, God, would you give us from your hand what we need today? I love that here Jesus reveals to us that God cares about us. He doesn't just care about us on a spiritual sense 
of making sure that we have what we need spiritually, but also what we need physically. God cares so much about us. He cares about what we do with our bodies. Did you know that? He said, give us this day our daily bread. He, he wants to meet not just our spiritual needs, but our physical needs. That's why he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? Something that Paul had realized in his Christian life was that it matters to God what I do with my body. It matters to God what I feed my body, how I treat my body. It matters to God what I do with my ears and my eyes and my mouth. It matters to God what I do with my hands and with my feet. It matters to God. And as you go to Him in prayer, you ought to have a time in that prayer where you say, God, I want to receive from your hand what you have for me. It reveals God's caring for us, but also it reveals something else. And that is this, that we, that we can trust in Him one day at a time, daily, for what He wants to provide for us. I love what it says in your notes in Philippians 4, 6, be careful for nothing. In another version, it says, be anxious for nothing. There's nothing that we should be worrying about today, about what are we going to do tomorrow? Are we going to have enough for tomorrow? Is God going to provide the job that I need? Is God going to provide the money that we need? Is God going to provide the needs that we have as a family? In prayer, you can be assured, Jesus said, that God will supply your every need every day. That's why he put daily. Give us this day our daily bread. So many times we struggle, even as Christians, just trusting in God, that he will provide. So many times we struggle with anxiety. It's something that not only as Christians we battle, but our society battles it. Depression is something that is really big in our society. There are many people that struggle with it. But you know, in prayer, that's really where you can take care and take your burdens and take your worries and just give them to God. You see, when you focus on God's will, you're reminded that it is God's will for Him to provide for you. That's why He said, give us this day our daily bread. I don't need to be anxious about what tomorrow will bring. Someone has said, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds my tomorrow. That's what give us this day our daily bread is all about. It's focusing on the fact that God's will be done in my life. But I want you to notice not only in our prayer are we to focus on God, not only are we to focus on God's will, but lastly this morning we are to focus on God's ways. As we pray, we must pray for God to show us His ways. Ask God to help us live his ways. You see, that's what the next part of the prayer that he gives us and teaches us is all about. He says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You see, the first way that we need to follow in God and focus in God on is in this area of forgiveness. There's nothing more godly, clearly godly, than when we are practicing forgiveness in our life. Because it's something that's so against our nature, so against our, every fiber of our being. When someone is forgiving to another person, there's something that that forgiveness brings that, that it's, it's inexplicable. It, you look at it and it's something that can only be done through the power of God. We find that 
God's ways are always the best ways. And our prayer ought to be, God, help me to see others as you see them. Forgiveness is all about seeing someone else as God sees them. Loving them as God loves them. Being there for them and forgiving and releasing them of that bondage as God released us of our bondage. You see, Ephesians 4.32 says, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Part of our prayer ought to be saying, God, I really want to focus on your ways. Help me to live out what you've commanded me to do, what you've taught me to do and live. Man, if you can just, and if we as Christians can just focus and learn about forgiveness, if we can really apply that, listen, every other area of the Christian life will come together. If you can forgive others, you'll love others as God loves them. If, if you learn about forgiveness, you'll, you'll realize God's love for you and it'll improve your love for Him. It'll improve not only your relationship with God, it'll improve your relationship with others. You'll find that forgiveness is at the very core of who God is. We find that as we spend time in prayer, learning God's ways, we are asking God, will you help me to live your ways in my life? And then we'll notice not only in the area of forgiveness, but in the area of testing. I want you to know that the word tempt does not always mean, when you see it in the Bible, it doesn't always mean to seduce someone to do evil. I know usually when we think of the word temptation, we think of someone coming to, to try to uh, encourage you to do something wrong. But the word doesn't always mean that. In fact, there are many times in the New Testament you'll find that the word tempt really means test. James chapter 1, verse 2 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. What he's saying there is not temptations from God. God cannot tempt us to sin, but in testings. Knowing this, he says, that the trying of your faith, the testing of your faith, worketh patience. And let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. What God is saying, what the Word of God is saying here, what Jesus was teaching His disciples when He says, and lead us not into temptation, He's saying, God, will you help us to be able to endure the testing that you have for us? To not fail in the testings. You know, the testings of God are a great thing. Anyone that's ever been tested knows that Testing, we don't always pass the test the first time, but anyone that's been tested knows that testing serves a great purpose in strengthening us and making us stronger. Uh, for instance, if you go to a gym, and I don't know how many here this morning go to a gym to work out, but when you go do a workout, you, you push your body to the limits. You test your body to see what it can do. And every time you test your body, you go as strong as you can, and then you go and rest, and then you come back, and you, and you do it again. And if you do that enough times, you'll find that the weight that you can lift gets higher and higher every time. The testing that you put your body through actually strengthens you. The testing that God leads us into is to strengthen our faith. It's to make us stronger. In our prayer, Jesus says, when you pray, you ought to be praying, God, if there's a testing that there is for me today. Help me to, to pass it. 
Help me be strong enough to have the strength to not fail in that testing. I don't, may, I don't know how many of us today took time to simply pray, Lord, will you help me in the testings that I will face this Sunday morning? Now, there might be many that are teaching a little kids class that probably preach, uh, that, that pray that every Sunday. Like, oh, God, help me not to, you know, throw that little five-year-old against the wall, Elijah. No. Um, but it's something that we ought to have in our time of prayer as we focus on God, as we focus on God's will, as we focus on God's ways. Focusing on the fact, God, will you help me in this area of testing that will be coming? Help me to be strong. Help me to rely on you. Help me to be strengthened by you. And then he says, not only lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We find that not only is testing something that strengthens us, but testing is something that delivers us. We are constantly being attacked by the devil in our lives. He attacks our commitment. He attacks our trust in God. He attacks our stand for God. And we must pray that God would deliver us from his attacks. You know, attacks come in many ways by the devil. Sometimes the devil will use friends that we have in our life to begin to try to get us away from God's ways. Maybe you've experienced that. Sometimes the devil will use not only friends, sometimes he'll use family. People that perhaps have never come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And they begin to say, hey, we're family. You ought to do this. And, and uh, isn't this more important than God to you? Isn't family uh, more important? And Jesus said, when that testing comes, pray that God will deliver you and strengthen you. Man, listen, Jesus had to face that. If you read in the Gospels, you'll find that Jesus' own brothers and mom came to say, Jesus, listen. Come here, we, we, we need to talk to you. Listen, you, you need to give us this time and maybe what you're doing isn't the best. And Jesus said, listen, my brothers and sisters are those that follow me, those that submit to my will. You see, sometimes you need to ask God, will you just deliver me from those kinds of attacks that come? It's not hurtful attacks. They're not attacks that are, sometimes they're wanting you to do something wrong that you know is outright wrong. But sometimes it's just to get you away from God's ways. And Jesus teaches us as his disciples, there are times when you just need to pray and say, God, help me to be delivered from those attacks. Help me to focus on you during that time. Ephesians 6.18 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Paul told those Christians at Ephesus, you need to be praying always, praying that God helps you to live His ways. You know, this morning, I want to remind all of us that we can pray. It is something that God has enabled us to do. It is something that is available to every one of us, and it's one of the greatest resources that you'll have in your Christian life. It really is, but there's a way to do it. Prayer isn't just for the food before you eat. Prayer is so much more. Prayer is not just for the time you're in a difficult spot and you need God to bail you out. It's more than that. Prayer is a time where you focus on God. It's a time where you focus on God's will for your life. 
It's a time where you ask God to help you live out God's ways and to focus on God's ways. This morning, I just want to challenge you, not simply just to pray, but pray in the way that Jesus taught us to pray. Focusing on God, focusing on His will, focusing on His ways. My, if we can do that, it would be amazing to see what God does in your life and mine. You know, E.M. Bounds said this, and I put it in your notes. He says, what the church needs today is not more machinery or better machinery or not new organizations or more novel methods, but men whom the Holy Ghost can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. What this message is all about is focusing on, this is what God has allowed me to do, I can pray. And what we need today, I agree with Ian Bounds, is people of prayer. I wonder if you'll take the challenge this week and say, this week, I'm going to decide to pray. Pray as Jesus taught us to pray. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Because in your word, we see that you are a God that is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. Father, you're a God that loved us and died for us, and we see that clearly in your word. But Father, you're not only a, a God that has loved us, but a God that wants to communicate with us. A God that wants us and allows us to go before your throne of grace at any time. Father, we can call you Father. We can think about what that word means and what your name truly is. We can meditate and ponder and focus on the fact that you're mighty and loving and merciful. Father, I pray that as we focus on how to pray, that you would help us to apply that and those truths that you taught us in this passage. Help us to focus on you and to focus on your will. We spend time every day not really thinking about what we want to accomplish, but what it is that you want to accomplish. And we spend time focusing on the fact that we're going to need help if we're going to live differently. If we're going to do your and, and live the principles of your word, we're going to need more of you. May we spend time in prayer, truly focusing on you. Help us to apply this truth in our life. And may it make a difference for your glory and for your honor. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.